0: Hey all and thanks for listening to Brubble, a podcast gathering young voices and perspectives from around the Brussels bubble. A few weeks ago, the world was hit with some rather unexpected news. That following a new scandal, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson would resign in October 2022. As the hunt for his replacement is heating up as much as Europe, some would say. This marks a great opportunity to look a bit forwards at the UK's role in the world today, especially from our quaint little place here in the Brussels bubble. And to help me traverse this rather delicate topic, uh, I'm joined today by Anna and Ben. So, Anna, Ben, how are you guys doing today? I hope not too warm, I suppose.
1: Actually, today isn't too bad, I think.
2: No, not
0: at all.
1: We're it's not we're not burning in the office, and we found the AC button, so it's good.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, not to uh, talk bad about where we're recording but I've been have our office has been struck in like like 10 degree weather all like the last few weeks because for some reason the AC locked to like
1: oh a really? temperature. <laughs> oh my god. Yes,
0: people are complaining of being too cold now which <laughs> as a Canadian grown person
2: I can't relate but
1: <laughs> Yeah, our temperature is fine now. Yeah. We found a good balance.
2: But there was a while where I was worried that it was going to be way too hot so. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're glad. Do you guys want to say a quick word about who you are, what you do in this world, how you came to be here?
1: Sure. So I'm Anna, and I'm Swedish, but born and raised in London, Mm -hmm. moved back to Sweden when I was eight, and then actually did my undergrad in Scotland at St. Andrews, where I studied psychology and social anthropology. And then I left from there to do my master's in international development. And I think that was really where I understood that I was interested in EU politics, trade policy. And that's kind of how I landed in Brussels because um, through a connection, I got an opportunity to to work for MEP Jordi Cañas, who is a Spanish MEP, who sits in the International Trade Committee. And then I was there for a few months um, and then landed at BritCham, where I am now a comms and information manager.
0: Nice. And Ben, you know Anna a bit, right? Uh.
2: Yeah, (laughs) so uh, we both work at BritCham Uh, So yeah, I'm Ben, and I was born and raised in the UK, so I'm British. Uh, I'm also half Portuguese, so I have that uh, European and British perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, I am currently two years of the way through my bachelor's degree, which I'm studying at the University of Bath in politics with economics. Uh, So this is my placement year. I'm just coming to the end of it, having worked for a year uh, at BritCham. Yeah, it's been a really great year for me.
0: Yeah, sounds neat. I really like the the focus, or like the how I have two people here from such a, I suppose, split background, because mm. I think it offers a really interesting perspective in, I guess, the UK's identity in the world right now, just yeah. the, the little balance between the EU, the UK, where in between, and I suppose I personally relate to it myself, so for the people who don't know me, I'm Simon, I'm a Dutch citizen but raised in Canada, and so now I find myself here in Brussels working at Microsoft uh, as a policy coordinator, and I'm doing this quaint little podcast. Um, but yeah, you two were both saying you were working at BritCham, which uh, is the longer version, is the UK Chamber of, <laughs> of Commerce in the EU. How's that? What are you guys uh, doing Belgium. Just right. Belgium, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yes, <laughs> apologies.
1: No, it's uh, just uh, good to point out because to explain a little bit about the chamber, um, you have chambers in every country, really. So we're the one for the Belgium and the EU, which is kind of puts us in a unique position because we both have a bilateral and regional level. Um, so what we do is try to facilitate trade and business between the UK and Belgium, but also the UK and the EU. So that's why we also not only closely work with the Belgium um, parliament and Belgium politicians, but also EU, the EU institutions. Um, and we have kind of three pillars that kind of um, clusters together the different activities that we have, which is bilateral, um, UK-EU relations, and then EU policy. So it's really a, a lot of different things that we do, but the I guess the main goal for us specifically in this period is just to continue supporting our members and businesses to continue trade with the UK, who is you know one of our biggest trading partners.
0: Yeah, I think it's a pretty fascinating place to work at, especially, I guess, as I mentioned a second ago, just the UK's place in the world, just mm. how these relationships emerge, and I guess the importance of this close proximity. But Ben, I mean, you're somebody who's worked as an intern here for the last six months or so now. What's that experience been like? Like, how do you enjoy, or what, what kind of, how do you see the Brussels bubble from that, I guess? Could I call it an isolated UK perspective nowadays?
2: Yeah, I guess. Uh, more of a third-party perspective <laughs> than, than before. Um, yeah, I think, as you mentioned, it's been a really interesting time to be working from a UK-EU perspective with regards to UK-EU relations because it's constantly evolving. You know, It might not be the best for the relationship between the two countries, but for us, working with it, it's been so interesting. Um, in terms of the Brussels bubble, it's been great for me to get practical experience with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel like it's the kind of thing that you can study for however long you want, but as you don't work, you don't really understand, you don't really get the feeling of what it's like. Yeah, and as, the, I suppose, the only British citizen here, uh,
0: ignore my Canadian past, um, <laughs> how do you think this has shaped your perspective
2: on the EU, this experience being here? It's uh, a good question. Um, I think I obviously have a distinct opinion on the eu as well given the fact that i'm half portuguese mm-hmm. so i've always been quite pro-european i've always felt quite european um in a sense that maybe other british people don't so i've always had a quite a positive opinion on the eu i think in the current disputes that that going on between the uk and the eu it's like hard for me to th- remain neutral and like not pick a side but okay. I kind of you kind of have to as someone who is Half-half. Yeah. No, that's that's a really interesting position to be in, I suppose. And I guess
0: I throw this question back at you, Anna. I mean, growing up, between Britain and Sweden, Mm. how does that kind of... How do you see the EU, or how do you see the UK?
1: I mean, I would kind of have to say what Ben said as well. Like, I feel European as well. But the thing is that I know a lot of my friends from studying in university and having a lot of British friends... Some of them say that they don't feel European. And, you know, it is an island far out. It was a global empire. And it does have... I mean, I'm not right to explain it because I'm not the one feeling it, but they have said that. Um, And I think that's super interesting. And I think this discussion kind of evolves around national identity and um, specifically today in a very globalised world, like where do we feel like we belong where are our roots? Um, do I, do I identify with this culture? Do I not? And I think a part of the Brexit question lies in that.
0: Yeah, no, and I think you're not the only one thinking those questions. And I think one of the people who's thought about those questions long and hard was Boris Johnson, mm. until I mean, I suppose he's still thinking about it. But what were your reactions to whatever happened a few weeks ago? <laughs> Did you <laughs> see this coming? Because I, for one, as a Observer of this all happening thought that man would survive the next nuclear ap- apocalypse mm-hmm. with the way he was going.
2: So, <laughs> I agree completely. I, I really didn't see it coming. Um, it's, it's not that surprising when you think logically. Um, but I think with both with Boris and also with Trump, which I think you can draw a lot of similarities mm-hmm. there, they sort of redefine logic. And you, I was. You know, like you thinking that he was going to continue for years and years as prime minister somehow, even though seemingly nobody wanted him there. Um, but I, I think it was time. I mean, it's there's one too many scandals. Mm. Public opinion can only go so low on on a person, and with the amount of things that happened during his time as prime minister, I mean, it, it, before he took over, the UK was still in the EU. We hadn't had the pandemic yet. I mean, it's massive, the change that has happened during the time that he was Prime Minister and so much controversy as well. It's uh, hardly that surprising looking back on it. Mm. I guess being a bit more in the EU bubble, Anna, not to
0: be mean to you, Ben, but (laughs) did you, are you as surprised as Ben about this?
1: You know, I have to say, I was surprised actually, because I mean, there have been a lot of scandals Mm. with Boris Johnson and you know he was still there he still had the support for such a long time i mean it took how many was it 25 ministers for him to resign
2: 60 yeah yeah
1: for him to actually you know so i was surprised i could not see that coming because there had been so much happening before where he still remained and there was still big campaigns about him and big support you know so um yeah, it came for a, to a, for a shot, to me as well. But I would agree with with Ben. If you actually look back at it, mm. everything that happened, like this Pincher scandal, was just the what do you call the last drop in the yeah
2: the needle, the character? the camel's back, camel's back. back yeah. yeah, I'm I'm using
1: a Swedish <laughs> saying yeah. now. The last drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: The question I kind of was left with was how big of an impact will this actually have on the UK political scene? Because from what I'm seeing, it's just oh, a switch of leaders. Do you think anything will change? And I guess the philosophy, the how would actually, how politics will actually operate for I suppose us looking outwards, or even you as a citizen, Ben.
2: So I think the most important point for me here is that it shouldn't, because the way that the political system works in the UK is that uh, when you vote in a general election, you vote for a party, you don't vote for a person. So Boris Johnson leaving government should not affect that at all. Um, The mandate that the government has is the same, whether Boris Johnson is there or not. So um, whether it's Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss, they're running or they will be Prime Minister with the same manifesto of promises that Boris Johnson had. Um, Equally, I think the public and the Conservative Party didn't really have a problem with the policy that Boris Johnson was putting together. The direction that the party was going in was relatively popular, I would say, um, within the support and within the people who voted for him the first time. Obviously, it was very controversial, some pieces of policy like the Rwanda uh, immigration policy. But um, when it comes to it, it's quite a similar, uh, it, it should be a similar leadership coming from now because it's, it's the same mandate that they're going on.
0: Just a change of paint, I suppose.
2: Yeah, basically.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think it will be perceived like that here, Anna, as just a change of paint? Because from my perspective, Boris Johnson is such a somewhat of a large in life figure. I know no other UK politicians who's really grabbed that spotlight like like he has in the past. Or maybe that's just my obliviousness. No,
1: I agree. And I think that, you know, you need to realize like he is a character and, you know, there's not a lot of politicians that we see that, you know, comes out with blonde, messy hair. And I think that's part of the communication strategy and the way that he talks and and all of these things that has made kind of like UK politics actually kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally don't think there's going to be a major change if whether it tr- trusts or Sunak takes over. It's like Ben says, it's the same policy. They're going to deal with. The, the issues that Brexit has left them. They're going to deal with global Britain and trying to set up all these free trade agreements. But, you know, the, the, there's not going to be a huge change. Maybe that the EUK politics will be, be just a bit more boring to follow, <laughs> to be honest, because Johnson was such a character to follow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess from that celebrity appeal, you, you lose a little bit. And I, I guess that kind of spoils whatever is going to happen next. Next was about... Trust versus Sunak, hmm. what do you think of the two candidates? And I, I, I'm assuming, I don't want to get too much into political biases here, but do you think either of them will have a larger impact if they become prime minister? And I mean, I know you just said then that the policy will remain the same, but I guess how, what might differ between the people?
2: Well, I think um, if I'm not mistaken, Liz Truss never resigned from Boris Johnson's government. So she, and that's quite rare, because half of the ministers did resign, so um, she has more of a uh, similarity to Boris Johnson, whereas Rishi Sunak, having resigned as one mm. of the most high-profile resignations, is kind of distancing himself yeah. a bit from Boris Johnson. So I guess if there was going to be more of an impact, more of a change in direction, it would come from Rishi Sunak. Mm. Um,
0: yeah, because I, I mean, I was scrolling through their profiles a little bit in, in preparation for this because I, I like to seem somewhat reputable, <laughs> somewhat knowledgeable. <laughs> um, but I, I was surprised that Liz Truss, she was, she did vote against Brexit initially, and then she was like, "Oh, terrible mistake in 2017." Surprisingly, I was thinking,
1: mm-hmm. do
0: you think that has any impact? I guess on how the policy moves forward because I do think, judging from her rhetoric, it's been in her eyes a terrible mistake. So. Voting in support.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, since she uh, has been working as foreign secretary uh, or in the government, she's been very a very big advocate of Brexit. So, as you say, she kind of changed her mind quite quite a bit about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what that says about whether it's a political move or I, d- I don't know. I can't s- speak that much about it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think she would definitely be seen as more the hardline mm. uh, Brexiteer out of the two, which is doesn't make a lot of sense given the fact that she voted Remain.
0: Yeah, I, ca- I kind of want to finish this little segment on, the, I guess, the autopsy of Boris Johnson. now. Mm. Uh, maybe he comes back to life sometime, but what do you think of him? What, what do you think his legacy will be in, in UK politics or in even European or global politics?
1: I personally, do, I just think he's going to be remembered by Brexit. I mean, mm. it's huge. That is huge. UK leaving the EU, and that's that's the big thing that he did. That's how people will remember him. He's done o- other things, you know, but um, I think that's how people will remember him. Brexit.
2: Yeah, it's the biggest um, that he's had. Uh, in terms of other things, the scandals I think will be remembered. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's been quite a few. The partying during lockdown. Mm-hmm. The His party has been, there's been many sexual assault and allegations oh. that he's sort of been seen as not doing a lot about. But yeah, I mean, I think among his supporters, he'll be seen as somebody who got Brexit done. Yeah, True. Uh, I think, you know, Brexiteers will support him and remember him fondly, because I think at the time when he came into power, there wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily certain that the UK would end up leaving the EU the UK was still part and there was these constant extensions of deadlines and seemed like you know with such divided support it was a possibility that we wouldn't end up leaving so yeah I think he will be remembered fondly among those people and like Trump quite a polarizing character
1: yeah Yeah. and that's what yeah exactly what you say like I what I meant was like being remembered by brexit either in a positive way or a negative way Mm. but also to add to that is also that with the uk leaving the eu they also managed to get a trade deal with the eu so that's also something that he'll be remembered by that in the end i mean i don't know if this was last year on christmas eve wasn't it not where they signed
2: maybe two years ago but yeah they signed
1: the um, TCA, which is the Trade and Cooperation Agreement between the EU and the UK. And that was also, we weren't sure that that was even going to happen. So he managed to pull that through as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I think this is turning quite nicely into the second pillar, so to say, of what I want to structure this podcast around. was just about the UK's larger role in the world today. And I mean, you're mentioning some of the trade agreements that you've been developing and you've been mentioning a bit about how we're moving to a post-Brexit world, if I can call it like that. And in this post-Brexit world, what do you think the UK's role in the world is today? Where do you see yourself or your adopted
2: country, I would say? Um, I think, firstly, I think it's important, even though I um, firmly was a Remainer and mm. I feel quite pro-European, I think it's quite important that the UK doesn't immediately start thinking about rejoining the EU. I mean, this this is done. Brexit was done by Boris Johnson, and we're now in the situation that we're in. There can be deals done and better relations between the two countries, definitely. But I think it's important that people don't start polarising everyone again by thinking, let's jump straight back into the EU when the EU might not have us, and there's still a massive portion of the population in the UK that don't want that to happen. So the the position of the UK is firmly as a third country, which leaves us with a lot less power, I feel, in the global power dynamics. It's, it'll be interesting to see where it goes with regards to trade deals with other countries and the global influence.
1: Yeah, and I mean, they have managed to do a lot of trade deals already with New Zealand and Australia. And I think that that they have this campaign called Global Britain and they want to strengthen their ties with other you know, big powers in the world. Um, And I think they're going to really be focusing on strengthening ties with Asian countries like India, with uh, the US. But they're not, what we, or what I can personally see is that they're not engaging at all with the EU. So Brexit, whoever takes over, like Brexit is done, like Ben says. They're making that very clear, by making it difficult, like, not even focusing on EU, you know, at all, Mm -hmm. really just putting all of their focus on strengthening ties with other countries in the world. Um, And then, I mean, I don't know how that will actually result, because they're still losing on import and export with the EU, which is still, like, you know, a long historical, like, trade ally and something with New Zealand. I don't know exactly how that would support that, but yeah.
2: Yeah, I, th- I, th- I personally think an important point to be made there as well is in, as we're in a uh, time where we're speaking a lot about climate change mm. um, and green trade, all this kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I personally think it's a massive mistake that hasn't been spoken about that much that the UK is moving away from a trading relationship with a block, one of the biggest blocks in the world, if not the biggest which is 30 miles away from itself, mm. and going to sign trade deals with New Zealand, which is as far away as you can possibly get. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, the logistics of it don't work that well um, in this from a climate change point of view. Uh, so yeah.
0: Hmm. Amongst these issues, wh- what do you think scares you the most? What do you think should be the one we should keep our eye on the most as policymakers? I'm not sure. (laughs) I know it's a big question. Yeah, I I, I mean, economics is one that you both have really pointed out as, but I know climate is also one which I'm looking at some of the British public opinion polls. It's one you're very passionate about too, and I mean, given the 40-degree weather, I'm sure that's why, but...
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, I think personally, taking aside, which I think is a very important point, by the way, that even though they left the EU businesses still want to trade with one another Mm -hmm. and keeping those relations. And I mean, that's what we're working really hard to do is maintaining the relationships and making sure that, okay, they might not be part of us anymore. And yes, there's some red tape and yes, there's customs procedures, but we can help you with that. Mm -hmm. And we can continue having a positive relationship with businesses and companies and organizations across the channel. But aside from that, I think it's important to see, and it's already been shown with the UK crisis, that the UK and EU can cooperate on things like security, defense, um, you know, um, globe, like climate change, that if there are areas for collaboration, these global issues, we should really try to focus on that as well. But that also brings in a lot other global powers like the U.S., and how the UK is working with the US, how we're working with the US. And it's it's a, it's a huge geopolitical question. But I think the Ukraine crisis really showed that we could cooperate on that.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say that there's an opportunity where the EU might drag its feet in certain areas, especially with all, I guess, the regulatory tape and all the, you know conferring between 27 different member states to develop one stance Hmm. the UK I mean you're still a relatively large economy you are a significant country you can develop positions quicker yeah and I think we saw that as you were saying during the Ukraine crisis where the UK was seen at least in the initial days as a bit of a leader somewhat and I feel like Boris Johnson in recent days has also been trying to reclaim that movement a little bit and I feel like there's a similar opportunity for you to claim maybe even on the climate debate um I mean you have some great climate statistics you can always throw out um stuff like that, I think there's a definitely an opportunity to become more, I guess, braggadocious about yourself.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's in a way quite dangerous, in mm. though I, I think it's something that there has been a lot of with Boris Johnson. Uh, yeah. The rhetoric has been quite us versus them, mm. um, always trying to seem better than the EU, uh, to show that it's a success that we left, you know, we can be quicker at this, we can you know Zelensky loves me the <laughs> <laughs> all of this kind of thing um and I think it will be interesting to see once all of the dust settled and maybe the rhetoric calms down a bit uh where they can actually make progress um in collaboration on the issues that really matter
0: well that's a very good point I yeah I definitely agree with you when you phrase it like that because it's I guess, going from being a global citizen in the world to making sure your own bed is in order, or mm. however you say it, whatever mm. it's saying is. We're struggling with saying <laughs> <laughs> uh So where do we want to kind of wrap this discussion up? Because what I was thinking of doing this is saying that the EU in, I guess, stuck between the Chinese and American superpowers, we're framing ourselves as a regulatory superpower. That's kind of how I see the trends going and, you know, being a bit more realistic, and you're arguing that the UK should, I guess, be a bit more quieter, focus on its own sphere. Do you see a new identity emerging like that for the UK? Uh, Is there any identity you want to see the UK embrace over the next few
2: years? It's a big question. It is. Um, (laughs) That's why it's (laughs) last. Yeah. (laughs) No pressure. Um, I'm not really sure where I see the UK developing its position. You look at the other superpowers, I mean, even the EU being a regulatory superpower um, with a massive market, mm-hmm. um, the US spending the most on defense, again, it's a m- huge market, and China is the biggest in the world. Um, so the UK can't really compete with any of those. So I think it becomes quite a lot about how it fits in and how they work with those other big superpowers. Um, But yeah, I'm not really sure where it sees, where the the UK sees itself as a global, global Britain, as Anna said, um, where they fit in in that picture.
1: I mean, I think the thing is that the UK will always be a significant player in the global arena. I mean, London, as well as one of the most metropolitan cities that have a great it's a great financial hub Mm -hmm. businesses still go there businesses still have their headquarters there um the legal system is strong there it's still going to be very relevant and let's not forget you know that it it was once an empire and it has the commonwealth and it has a long-standing history of being connected to the rest of the world and i think it will always remain a significant player Um, For me, what will be interesting to see is see how actually far they do come with the idea of disconnecting from the EU and strengthening ties with the rest of the world and what that will lead to. And if, I mean, we're trying, we try to follow the statistics every day, seeing, you know, exports, imports and how it's affecting the domestic uh, economy, but also international and internationally. Um, But these are things that we won't see until maybe 20, 30 years. You know? Yeah. Um, and then maybe by then, has a new leadership emerged that might say, hey, we want to rejoin the, e-, you know? So it's going to be really interesting to follow, but I don't think that it's something we can say in the short term, if that makes sense.
0: No, definitely. Because I, I remember back during the Canadian election, uh, almost a year ago now, I was doing a different podcast, and there's a lot of debate about, ooh, the Conservative Party in Canada wants to join the Kansas agreement, so the Mm. Canada-New Zealand-UK kind of, you know, pact with that ugly acronym. Mm. And it was very interesting to see the new, you know, using a bit of history, a bit of, like, cultural similarity to create these new kind of movements, which, I mean, geographically make no sense whatsoever. But there is some logic behind it when you think about it like that. I mean, Canada's never geographically made much sense, so...
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, it... as Anna says, it depends quite heavily on the, the leadership that all of those countries have. I mean, we've seen how a change in leader can affect countries so dramatically and how mm-hmm. close some of the elections can be, um, which define the future. I mean, the referendum itself, which voted for Brexit, uh, was 52% to 48 so sometimes it can be so marginal um, yeah. and change so dramatically the way that we go i think the the uk now is kind of at the beginning of a road and it's really difficult to see where that goes without knowing who's going to be in charge and it's, it's not mapped out for us so we'll have to see where it goes yeah
0: no, lovely analogy because as you're starting out at the game the road we're on the end of the road of this podcast <laughs> so <laughs> well i think that just about wraps it up but before we wrap up you know, I'd like to finish with a more fun, personalish question, which by no means reflects any of your real-life viewpoints, is what I'm going to say. <laughs> but, you know, to the ball into the court, uh, Mr. Johnson is now without a job,
2: and you are his employment agency. <gasps> Where do you send him?
1: Good He's question.
2: He's got to start some, like, news channel or something. What oh. do you Just think become a commentator. Yeah, I was People thinking would the same. love to see that.
1: What if he was like an interview host or something? Mm. But or he like would probably hosting
2: talent competitions. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, but then
1: again, I feel like he'd be the one talking most of the time. So I'm thinking Boris Johnson, one man show, nine o'clock on Fridays in the UK. Yeah, yeah. he's just talking about stuff.
0: Mm, I agree. Yeah, and then you just leave politics out of it. Yeah, just, just have have yeah. as a figure.
1: <laughs> and th- getting in some interesting um, people that he can interview.
2: Yeah. Well, because that was a point throughout his time as prime minister, he's just funny <laughs> to laugh at. Um, people yeah. were saying, like, he's funny, but it's not funny because he's the prime minister. So mm-hmm. if he's not the prime minister, maybe it will be more funny to just watch him <laughs> yeah. say whatever he wants to say. I suppose, so. I guess, due to reverse Trump, so to say. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess on that note, we are actually done now. So thank you so much, Anna. Thank you, Ben, for coming on today. I think it was a great conversation. Yeah. It was a good look at the topics ahead, and especially with September coming up and everything starting to kick back into gear. Some interesting trends to keep our eyes on out. So yes, thank you. Thank you for having
1: Thank you so much for having us. And can I do a bit of promotion? Yes, please do so. Now that we're at the end, (laughs) Um, and also because I know that this podcast is aimed for young professionals in Brussels,
0: I would hope so. But if you're old and listening, you're not old. (laughs) (laughs) Please not switch off.
1: Um, So the British Chamber of Commerce in Belgium has something called the Brussels New Generation, where Mm -hmm. we try to gather young professionals in Brussels or the rest of the world. If they just happen to be in Belgium, that would be great. we have different activities, specifically networking events, that are very popular here. And if you'd like to learn a bit more or join the community, then you can find us at EU And we'd love to have you on board.
0: Yeah, and I'll drop that link in the description. So yes. Please click on that find out. And I'm looking forward to going to a few of your events Yay. coming up soon. <laughs> <laughs> You've got at least one new uh, <laughs> member only <laughs> yet.
1: <or laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, I guess that wraps up the podcast. If you would like to be on this podcast, please drop me a message. I'm looking always for new people to share what they're doing in the world around here. And yeah, I suppose we'll catch you next time for our next episode. So bye, everyone.